We're working through the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing through this week. But in particular, what we're doing is we're taking up, um, and essentially from Mark's Gospel, the last days of Jesus' earthly life. And so what we're looking at tonight will be Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And I'm actually going to grab my Bible. <laughs> Thanks. I had this feeling I forgot something important. <laughs> that would be it. All right, Mark chapter 12. So the section we're taking up is, um, is basically the, the Tuesday of Jesus's, uh, the last Tuesday of Jesus's earthly life. And so let me pray for our time together. Lord, thank you for this gathering. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that uh, you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise, and I pray that this um, would be a sweet time as we gather tonight to consider the life of Jesus. So I pray that you would strengthen us where we need to be strengthened, convict us where we need to be convicted, but also con- encourage us, Lord, with the truth of your gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So sometimes snapshots give us a bigger story. Snapshots give us a bigger story. And here's what I mean. I want to I t- take us through a few snapshots of actually my journey to faith in Christ. So we'll go back to high school. One of my friend groups in high school, they all belong to the same church. And so various snapshots along the way in high school. There were moments where some of those friends from the youth group would engage me in conversations about God. That's one snapshot. Other snapshots. Some of those friends would invite me to their youth group. Okay, another snapshot. There was one particular moment where they invited me to go to an FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Weekend of Champions Retreat. So I went, and immediately on the way there, I regretted it. I was like, what am I doing? Why did I commit to this until the last night? And on the last night, there was a speaker that gave a message. I can't tell you what he talked about. But right afterwards, um, a kid about my age, and what I remember is just he was a pimply-faced kid, my age, got up to share his testimony. And when he talked about Jesus, it hit me like a pile of bricks. I recognized my eyes were opened by God in that moment. I recognized that I was a sinner and in deep doo-doo, so to speak. And my only hope as I listened to him was to recognize um, Jesus as my Savior. And so I did that very thing. That night, dropped on my knees, prayed the sinner's prayer, came to faith. Now, let me back up and talk about the snapshots. So uh, the snapshots of various conversations about God over the years, Um, the snapshots of them inviting me to youth group, the snapshot of them inviting me to this um, this weekend retreat, it was not random. It wasn't coincidence. It was actually a coordinated effort. What I found out later is that youth group had been praying for me and another one of my friends for two years that we would come to faith in Christ. And in our junior year of high school, we both came to faith in Christ. So those snapshots were part of a bigger story that God was at work in. So tonight, what I want to look at I want to look at some snapshots that are not random, 
that will give us the bigger sense of this uh, section of Scripture in Mark chapter 12. Now, with my story, there was a positive uh, reality to it, right? But the snapshots that I want to, uh, for us to look at, I would put in the category of these are, these are hostile snapshots. So, with that, listen to these snapshots in Mark chapters. I'm going to read a little bit out of 11 and 12. Just give you pieces of the scripture. But as you listen to these snapshots, the question is, what's different about all of them and what's the same? So the first one, if you have your Mark journals or your Bible, feel free to follow along. The first snapshot is chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It says, and they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, came again to Jerusalem and he was walking in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Pause. These things are likely the miracles, but specifically the cleansing of the temple that Jesus had just done. So they're asking, what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? That's one snapshot. Next one in chapter 12, verse 13. And they, likely the religious rulers, probably the chief priests, scribes, and elders that were named earlier, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him, meaning Jesus, in his talk. Next snapshot, chapter 12, verse 18. And Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. Next section, chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, meaning the Sadducees and Jesus, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay. By the way, with every time these questions, and they were attempting to be tricky questions, came to Jesus, I love, uh, I love what Mark tells us, that Jesus answered in such a way that they marveled at him. And then I love this, chapter 12, verse 34. After the last question, Mark says, and after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. What do these snapshots reveal? That things are heating up now that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Okay, I asked the question with all these snapshots. What's different? Here's what's different. It's the various groups that are now coming at Jesus. I just named the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. I don't have time to get into all of them, but let's just say they didn't see eye to eye on everything, right? But here's what they all have in common. They are all out aggressively to get Jesus at this point. See, none of these groups saw eye to eye on everything, especially religion and politics, but they did see eye to eye on one thing. It was that the enemy was Jesus for them. And what they were seeking to do by coming to him and asking these questions over and over and over was to trap him in his words. They hoped, as they asked what they thought were trick questions, that Jesus would give an answer that would make him either unpopular with the Jewish people of the day who were following him or make him unpopular with the Roman authorities. Either way, the desire, their mission, was to trap Jesus so that they could destroy him. This isn't just the story of Mark. 
This is actually the story of the world. As one commentator put it, what is the sum total of human history if not the attempt to rid the universe of God? See, throughout the gospel, Mark is pressing the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And tonight, the scriptures are going to remind us of who Jesus is. Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to tell a parable. And through this parable, he is going to reveal more clearly exactly who he is. Now, remember why Jesus spoke in parables. The parables function to both reveal and conceal. Okay? So they would conceal truth to those who had hardness of hearts, those who did not have ears to hear, those who did not treasure Jesus or his kingdom. But the parables would also, so they concealed truth, they also would reveal truth to those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness, you could say. So I want to read this parable in chapter 12. And as I read it, the question in your minds is this. Who do the characters of this parable represent? And what was the point of this parable? Okay, so here we go. Chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent servants to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you, read, or have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Already starting to lose my voice. So I want to work through this parable. And again, the question, who do these people represent? Or who are the characters? Who do they represent? Now, I'm going to ask that question. I would just ask that you don't answer out loud simply because in case you get it wrong, then it's awkward for you and then it's awkward for me. So just in your own head, we'll answer the question. So there's a man who planted the vineyard. Who's the man? The man would represent God. Who's the vineyard? The vineyard actually would represent Israel, God's people. In fact, vineyard was a common title in the Old Testament for God's people. And the man leased this vineyard to tenants. Who are the tenants? The tenants would be the religious leaders of Israel who were to oversee and cultivate the fruitfulness of the vineyard. The purpose of the vineyard was to bear fruit. In, in verses 2 through 5, we see that the owner of the vineyard sent various servants. Who are the servants? 
The servants would be the prophets in the Old Testament. And in fact, prophets in the Old Testament were often referred to as servants of God. And the purpose of these sermon, of these, uh, the prophets, the servants, were to remind God's people of God's good law, of his faithfulness, and especially their, their need to follow the Lord in obedience. Right? That was the role of the prophet. But so often in the Old Testament, what we see is the leaders of God's people who should have loved the voice of the prophets, which was the voice of the Lord, they rejected the prophets. And by doing that, they often rejected God. So, verse 6, what did the owner of the vineyard do? He sent his beloved son. This one we're going to say in unison. Who is the beloved son? It is Jesus. It is Jesus. Yes. In verses 7 and 8, but the tenant said, come, let's kill him, which is exactly what the religious leaders are plotting at this point as Jesus is telling this parable. And then verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do after they kill the beloved son? The owner will bring judgment on the wicked tenants. Now, when the religious rulers of the day heard Jesus telling this parable, warnings should have been going off in their brain. They should have said, wait, they knew the scriptures. Wait, he is referring to Isaiah chapter 5, as Isaiah spoke of a vineyard. And in fact, the, uh, this is known, Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 5, known as the song of the vineyard. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, singing on behalf of the Lord about his people. And what he sings about is this vineyard that he loves. He planted it. He cared for it, meaning his people. He protected them. And the desire was for them to bear fruit. But here's what Isaiah says on behalf of the Lord. What more was there to do from my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? So here's what Jesus is doing. If you recall, he entered into Jerusalem Daniel preached on this on Sunday. When he entered into Jerusalem, where did he go? He went directly to the temple. And the scripture saying he looked around, and what is Jesus looking at? He's looking at a lack of fruit. He's looking at the religious leaders of the day, how they are failing God's people. There is not good fruit. In fact, uh, last night, David preached on... Um, on the temple and, and the, the cursing of the fig tree. That's another picture of what's going on here. That fig tree represents the religious rulers. They are bearing no fruit. So it essentially what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of the day is this parable that I am sharing about is you, religious leaders. You have been unfaithful. You are unfruitful. God sent to you the prophets and you mistreated them and even killed some of them. And now God is sending to you his own beloved son. And what is your plan? Your plan is to kill him. So this parable is spoken directly against the religious leaders of the day. And here's the punchline of the parable. It's verse 10. Jesus says, Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has, been the cor has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Jesus does as he says that verse 10. He is quoting from Psalm 118. Here's what's interesting. That same Psalm 118 was quoted just two days prior. Palm Sunday was what we celebrate. When Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and people were chanting a verse out of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now Jesus is quoting a different part of Psalm 118. He's quoting verses 22 and 23. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is saying, I am the stone that you will reject. But little did they know. He is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is the foundational stone of the building. And so here's what the Lord is doing. What the psalmist declares is that this plan of God is marvelous in our eyes. So here's the plan. What is the Lord doing? He's building a new temple with Jesus as the foundation. And this temple is not a temple of stone and mortar. It is a spiritual house. What's interesting is on this same Tuesday, in chapter 13 at the beginning of it, the disciples come to Jesus and they're, and they're talking to Jesus about the temple. And they're like, Jesus, isn't this wonderful? The stones and the buildings. And what's Jesus' response? All this is going to be torn down. What the disciples did not yet understand is that God had a plan, a blueprint for a new temple already. And this temple is all about Jesus. God's, God's plan will be for God's people to be able to once again dwell with God, dwell in his presence, and it's going to be through his beloved son. This is the marvelous gospel. It's the marvelous gospel. If I can use this phrase, okay? The gospel is so marvelous, I'd rap about it. I'm not going to rap. I'd rap is an acronym. I want to work through the glory of the gospel using this acronym. I'd rap, I-D-R-A-P. What's the I? It's the incarnation. Let's just think about this marvelous gospel. Let's think about the faithfulness of God. That over and over throughout the scriptures, we see God calling his people to himself. Over and over, we see God's people failing that call turning their back on God, testing him over and over. But what does God do? Does he destroy everyone? No. He is faithful. He establishes a covenant. His covenant, big word, basically a promise on steroids. And what's that promise? That I will be your God and you will be my people. He will make a way for God's people to be secure in him. How does he do that? The first, the first I, it's the incarnation God himself will take on flesh and, as John puts it, tabernacle among his people. He will dwell with his people on this earth. That's the I. What's the D? The D is death. Jesus was rejected and then crucified. But we can't go into that because it's only Tuesday. And we'll talk about that on Friday. What's the R? Resurrection. It's glorious. We can't talk about that either. Because it's Tuesday. We'll talk about that on Easter Sunday. 
What's the A? The ascension. We are going to talk about that. Jesus, where is he now? What did the scriptures tell us? He ascended to the right hand of the Father, or, or the right hand of the Father, where he is ruling and reigning. And what did Jesus promise to his disciples? That when he ascends to the Father, he will give them a helper, the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? It is empowering the disciples. And essentially, what the Spirit is doing is building his church on Jesus as the cornerstone. Again, he's building his church, not a physical building like the temple, but it's a spiritual house. The New Testament refers to this as the church, right? And the New Testament also speaks of Jesus as this cornerstone. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about Jesus as the cornerstone and the calling of the church. And what are, what, what's the calling of the church, according to 1 Peter 2? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his what light? Marvelous. It's marvelous. There's that word again, into the marvelous light of the gospel. So what do we proclaim? Well, to quote Peter in Acts chapter 4, as he is being challenged by authorities, he says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected. He has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the marvelous gospel, and there's two responses to this gospel. There's two. One is that of the rich, or, or, or of the uh, religious rulers. It's rejection. They rejected God's beloved son. They rejected the marvelous gospel. And here's the sobering truth. Remember IDRAP? I've, give you, I've given you I, incarnation, D, death, R, resurrection, A, ascension. Ready for the P? It's parousia. It's the Greek word for his second coming because it's the only way to make IDRAP work. I needed a P word, right? <laughs> the parousia is his second coming, that he will come again, and when he does, what's he bringing? He is bringing salvation to those who love Jesus. He is bringing judgment for those who do not. And here's what Jesus tells his disciples on the Tuesday of his last week. It's in chapter 13. Don't have time to get into all of it. But here's some of the statements that Jesus makes to the disciples. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Three times he says, be on guard. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Don't reject this gospel. Don't reject God's beloved son. There's a warning against rejecting the gospel. But what's the other response, if not rejection? The other response, it's the response of true disciples. It is to marvel. Do you marvel at the gospel? From the beginning of the scriptures, we see that God planted a vineyard, his people. We see over and over his people were not faithful to him. But what did God do? God sent his one and only son to rescue his people 
We've got to marvel at that. He sent his one and only son to the cross. Jesus was rejected, crucified, but this was actually the victory of God over sin because this rejected stone is actually the cornerstone. And so as we look back at God's faithfulness to his people, do we marvel? How about our own stories? I look at the story of my life and I marvel that God would use a group of high school students to lead me to faith. It's glorious, I marvel. How about your story of salvation? If you're in Christ, do you marvel? I know we don't think about our testimonies every day. This is just an opportunity right now and tonight to reflect on the glory of the gospel, the glory of our Savior. Do we marvel? Is it marvelous in our eyes? I'll invite Andrew up to lead us in a final song as he's coming up. Um, do we marvel if you're in Christ that at one point he set his eyes on you? At one point he set his love on you and he brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Psalm 118, I mentioned this psalm earlier. That's the psalm that has the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it's marvelous in our eyes. This very psalm opens and closes with the same refrain, and it's this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So as we sing right now, I want this to be a song, basically a prayer, a prayer of thanks as we sing, sing out to God that he is marvelous. And he has given us a marvelous gospel. So let's sing together.